so welcome to The Prism. This is a monthly look at contemporary ethics and events through a biblical prism. This month we're looking at the issue of bodily integrity. We're asking the question, who actually owns your body? That might seem like a strange question. But in this modern society, the government seems to want you to think that in fact they own your body. You may think that you have bodily autonomy, that your body belongs to you, and you may even go around saying things like, it's my body, so it's my choice. But think again. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to look at this issue through a biblical prism, and we're going to seek some clarity on the matter. To help us, you should probably open your Bible just now and read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 to verse 20. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So I want to begin by having a look at some recent ethical and political issues. Living here in Northern Ireland, and it's the end of July, and temperatures are soaring, We're in the low 30s at the minute, and we're sweltering in the heat. But it's not just us that's feeling the heat. The DUP, our largest political party, uh, previously led by the late Reverend Ian Paisley, have seemingly agreed to a so-called soft opt-out scheme for organ donation. Uh, The organ donation register is being changed. And the legislation for that will be put before the Northern Ireland Assembly and I've no doubt it will pass. Essentially what it means is that if you are presumed to be dead, say after a road traffic accident, doctors will have the right to harvest your organs for transplant purposes without permission of your relatives. It's my understanding from debates in which I was previously involved that historically the Democratic Unionist Party had been opposed to such a change in the law. No one objects to organ donation. Think of the lives that have been saved by kidney transplants, by heart and lung transplants, by liver transplants, and so on. To be on an organ donor register is a very good thing indeed. But when this law passes, everyone will be presumed to be an organ donor unless they have opted out of the scheme. Whereas previously, a donor had to register, or a relative's permission had to be sought before any organs could be removed. The former objections to the proposed change in the law are even more compelling now, though in light of the sinister campaign of fear-mongering that has surrounded the COVID vaccines waged upon the population by the government, and the growing requirement to have experimental substances injected into our bodies or lose out on international travel and have restricted access to events and so on, more and more the government are taking control of our lives, what we do with our bodies, our medical procedures. With this new legislation on organ donation, the government will actually own your body after death. And that is seriously sinister. The assumption that someone else owns your body is ethically disturbing. And there are other worries. A bereaved family saddened by the sudden loss of a loved family member will be informed that without any reference to them, their late loved one has had organs removed from their body 
perhaps while still on life support, perhaps declared brain dead after an accident and literally still breathing and with a pulse. And how distressing will that information be for the family? And would there not be a possibility of abuse? Perhaps with the deaths of seriously ill patients being hastened to facilitate organ removal. And if there is any attempt to intervene by the family to refuse permission, wouldn't the family then be made to feel guilty? And even if new legislation allows for family input before organs are harvested, how will the family decide, since their late family members' wishes may be more ambiguous than under the previous scheme, where people were able to declare their willingness to donate while they were still alive? Of course we need more organ donors. But surely the way to increase that number is by persuasion, by information, not by a law that in effect passes your body into the ownership of the state. After all, the government's secretive nudge unit has been successful in changing people's behaviour during the COVID crisis. Why can't they apply their collective psychological behaviour modification techniques to organ donation instead of changing the law? But that's not all. This new vaccine pass for nightclubs and large indoor venues that's being proposed will legalise medical apartheid on a UK-wide basis. Nadeem Sahawi said proof that people are fully vaccinated against coronavirus will be required for them to be allowed into nightclubs and other crowded venues from the middle of September, at the end of September. In the House of Commons on Monday the 19th of July, Mr Zahawi said by the end of September, everyone aged 18 and over will have had the chance to receive full vaccination and the additional two weeks for that protection to really take hold. So at that point, we plan to make full vaccination a condition of entry to nightclubs and other venues where large crowds gather. The government controls what you do with your body. But in my opinion, that's only my opinion of course, one of the most immoral and appalling attacks on the human body is perpetrated in the abortion industry, and believe me it is an industry. Again, the DUP are in the spotlight in this matter here in Northern Ireland. The UK government has overruled the Northern Ireland Assembly, legislating for one of the most liberal abortion regimes in the Western world, here in a country where previously abortion had largely been illegal and discouraged. Already without formal abortion provision having been put in place, thousands of unborn babies have died in this country, murdered in the womb with the consent of their mothers. Now that same government is pressurising the Northern Ireland Assembly to formalise abortion provisions, making abortion more openly and more widely available. The DUP must resist this rollout of abortion provisions or face the electoral consequences that will inevitably follow. Sleight of hand, smoke and mirrors, doublespeak won't do. Of course, the argument that would be made by pro-abortion activists is that what happens to a woman's body is a woman's own choice. But the body that has been implanted inside the woman's womb when she engaged in sexual intercourse is not her body, it is someone else's body. A body that she has been entrusted with to nurture and care for that body until the gestation period ends and she has the joy of bringing that little life out into this world. 
Now those are the issues that we want to find some clarity on in this podcast. So stay with me, and in part two, we'll look at what the Bible teaches us about the human body, about who actually owns it. What does the Bible teach us about our body? I hope you've looked at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 to 20. If you haven't, you should pause this recording now and read that passage. The first thing that we learn there is that my body does not actually belong to me. The classic text for this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, where Paul writes, Meats for the belly the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now there's a great challenge, especially for those of us who are believers. Your body belongs to Christ. I hear people, sometimes even Christians, saying quite frequently, I'm free from the law, I can do whatever I want. They will say, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. I can go where I want, I can drink what I want, I can live just the way I want. That's totally dishonouring to the Lord who has set you free. You are not your own. And even the unregenerate person doesn't own the body in which he dwells. The natural man was created by God to bring honour and glory to God, yet without Christ in our lives, look at how we have taken what was intended to be honouring to God and destroyed it with sin. And we're so often proud of our physical appearance. We go out of our way to look good, to look respectable, to make ourselves clean on the outside, while the inside, the important part, is still contaminated with the filth of sin. When we are sinners without Christ, we're denying our bodies that essential spiritual nourishment and sustenance that is essential to keep those bodies properly functioning. And that whole spiritual dimension of life is either missing or it is distorted. We persist in the pursuit of physical and mental well-being. But the most vital ingredient of life itself is missing. We deprive ourselves of the spiritual nourishment that is essential to live a complete life. So when you take decisions that will affect your body, 
you must do so prayerfully and responsibly. Here's some reasons why. Because it is my responsibility to look after my body. In that passage that we were looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? When Paul was writing to Timothy, at that time the pastor of the Christian church at Ephesus, he gently chided him for not looking after himself. Timothy seems to have been neglecting his health. So Paul advises him in 1 Timothy 5 and 23, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. It is my responsibility to look after the body that has been given to me by God. The other thing that we learn here is that my body is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you are not your own? And we learn that my body will be resurrected at the last day. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 44, it says it is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You see, eventually we discard these bodies that we dwell in. Our earthly tent of this tabernacle will be dissolved. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will simultaneously be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now think of the challenge we have here. My body is not my own. It belongs to God who made it. And there's huge consequences for any decisions that I make about my body. I can't do what I want with something I don't own. The liberal mantra of my body, my choice is rendered totally pointless because it's not your body. You can't deface it or destroy it or pierce it or neglect it or stuff it with food or cut parts of it because you don't think it's been made right. The government can't claim it either for whatever purpose. And you can't decide that for your own convenience you can take the life of another, especially one of the most vulnerable members of this human race. We dishonour and disrespect our bodies when we indulge in impurity. Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. We do despite to our bodies by indulging in the common things of this world. We destroy our bodies with alcohol, with drug abuse, by recklessly driving cars that in our hands become lethal weapons, by causing death and injury and misery to thousands every year. We dishonour our bodies when the Sabbath day rest is ignored and the body is harmed.
One final issue. I wonder if, like me, you've heard people complaining that Christians, and especially evangelical Christians, seem to have an obsession with condemning sexual sin. I've heard that several times. People will say, you Christians, you're always on about homosexuality and gay marriage. And they'll say, well, what I do in my bedroom is my business. And you're continually complaining about other people's sexual lifestyles and their choices. And you do that to a greater degree than you complain about other sins. I have to admit that I have often said that sexual sin is just the same as every other sin. I've said that homosexuality and adultery and transgenderism and pedophilia, all of those are sins, and they are sins which bring us under the condemnation of the law just as much as murder and theft and greed and covetousness and so on. Of course, that is true, absolutely true, in the sense that all sin brings us into condemnation before God, and also the good news that all sin can be forgiven and sinners can be restored. But yet, when we read our passage in 1 Corinthians, we find Paul singling out sexual sin, placing it into a totally different category from every other sin. That's because sexual sin is a crime against bodily integrity. And as we have just learned, a person's body belongs to God, not to them. Let's just take the time to read what Paul writes to the Corinthians. A church with sexual immorality among its adherents. A church situated in a shockingly immoral society. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The Amplified Bible renders this as run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behaviour, whether visual or written. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own property. So the person who commits sin, sins against God. But the person who commits sexual sins, sins against God and sins against his or her own body is destroying property that belongs to someone else. Sexual immorality in all its forms is a double sin. And that's why Christians should be especially vocal about the immorality that is rampant in this sinful world. So bodily integrity. Have a wee read through the passage again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 down to verse 20. Read what the Apostle Paul has said. Apply it to your own body and to your own life and apply it 
to the political and moral situation in which we find ourselves in this particular day. Pray for your politicians. Pray for those who have to make decisions and especially for those Christian politicians who are leading parties and who are in Parliament and in assemblies. Pray that God will give them the courage to stand for biblical convictions. Thanks for listening. Let's learn to see this society in which we live through a biblical prism. Bye for now.